Hi, my name is Helen. I'm an alcoholic. And um, I've, uh, Mark has asked me a few times to speak. and It's, it's just an awkward time for me, but uh, I'm happy enough to, to have been able to do it today. Um, yeah, my name is Helen. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I identify as an alcoholic, I suppose, but I don't have I don't have that long drink log story that a lot of members would have. Um, I started drinking when I was 17, but I um, ended up in AA when I was 21 and I haven't taken a drink since. Um, but that's the simple version, I suppose, really, because for me, sobriety is about a lot of other things other than taking a drink and um, I would be, I would have other addictions, particularly food and compulsive eating. And um, so the recovery journey for me, I, I had that addiction before I ever picked up alcohol. So I was, and, and, and if I rewind back through the years, I've learned that I suppose when they say you were predisposed to alcoholism, I was certainly predisposed to alcoholism. I was born into a stressful environment um, to, I suppose, to, to wonderful parents who just didn't have the capacity with what was going on in their life really to provide what I needed, I suppose, to grow up as a secure individual. So I grew up with a lot of anxiety. Um, very early in my life, I ate on anxiety um, and I never really learned how to cope with ordinary everyday feelings or the, the build up of human emotions that happens. And um, so I went from eating and dieting and restricting to alcohol when I got old enough. And um, I drank alcoholically from day one. I, I, I never had any interest in social drinking. It was what I could get from it. And I suppose there was numerous things I got from it. It quelled the anxiety. Um, it helped me to be the life and soul of the party, to be liked by people. And then ultimately it gave me oblivion when I wanted to be knocked out and I couldn't cope with reality. So I was very lucky, really, that um, after four years of, of alcoholic drinking, I, I came to the Fellowship of AA and um, I stopped drinking. I identified really as an alcoholic straight away. And I, I was delighted, relieved, really, that alcohol was the problem because I actually thought, and rightly so, I suppose, I thought that there was something mentally wrong with me. You know, um, I suffered very much with overthinking, a racing brain. Um, paranoid, to worry, wondering what people thought of me. Um, and initially in AA, I got huge relief from all of that because I stopped drinking. I became part of a fellowship very quickly. The group that I became involved in was very much into service. So I became very quickly part of the group. And I felt a, a belonging, I suppose, really, that, that quelled a lot of that, those negative feelings for a while. But very quickly, um, I got into a relationship very early in a with somebody that was also in a which was a disaster, really. Um, so the anxiety came back up and the food started. And in the first couple of years of sobriety, I compulsively ate on my feelings. Um, it's quite a, a long winded story, but I suppose after 10 years in sobriety, um, after doing a lot of service, um, I I ended up in a residential treatment for the food and the alcohol, really. Um, and my marriage broke up then after that. And I, I suppose my story is that I, I, I stayed sober on service and fellowship, really. You know, lots of meetings, 
lots of friends in AA and lots of service. Um, but underneath that, I suppose, really, um, I never really looked any deeper. Um, I now know that doing lots of service without sorting out your codependency issues isn't exactly wise because you're, you're only just, you're feeding into a different aspect of the disease. And so where I'm at now is really, I suppose I have a bit of age now and a bit of maturity. Um, and I'm able to see kind of the wood from the trees, you know, that uh, my alcoholism has, I don't know, it's like a spider. There's uh, so many legs to it, you know, um, and it, it's, it's pervasive in all areas of my life. It's not just about stopping drinking at, at my stage. I'm blessed that I stopped drinking because that was the first step. That was the first step on the road to being able to see clearly what was going on with me. Um, after about 20 years in AA, I finally went through the big book. I went through the steps as laid down in the big book. I didn't do that early in sobriety. I did the steps my own way. Um, I did one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then I did a four. And then I did a one, two, three, one, two, three. You know, it was that kind of doing things my own way, changing sponsors because I didn't like what they were saying, you know. Um, but it's only and I, like I laugh like I, I I'm 28 years it's my a birthday but I'm 28 years away from alcohol. Um, what I reckon and and I spoke to a, a long-term member in AA before and she said she's always a newcomer and I'm realizing now that I am always a newcomer. You know, um, some part of me thought for years that if I did enough work on myself, if I did enough service, if I did enough. Um, I don't know if I just did enough, my thinking would change. I'd suddenly be normal. You know, I could eat normally. I never thought I could drink normally because I think drink frightened me because of where it took me so quickly. But I, maybe I could eat normally. Maybe I could just think normally. Do you know, maybe if I if I did enough, you know, and, and that's pure codependency. Do you know, if I could only just do enough, it was always around the next corner. And um, going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and going through this, the program that way um, helped me to find a higher power that works for me. Um, it helped me to understand that this isn't just about putting down a drink. Um, but funnily enough, um, the going through the book propelled me into service again because I thought I had all my shit sorted out. So. Um, I can go and help people now again. But you see, I hadn't really, you know, this this dealing with this chronic addiction to people, as Bill talks about, you know, people, places and things had took him to the cleaners after 23 years sober, you know, and um, our absolute dependency on others to prop us up, you know. And um, so going through the program that time, while I felt amazing, I was still indulging in the, the whole help people, help people and prop my self-esteem up, you know, and um, in the last two years, uh, in the last year and a half in particular, since this COVID thing hit, I suppose it's nearly two years now, um, it's it's been a complete re-evaluation of my sobriety um, because I can't do it anymore. Um, I suppose I had went into lockdown. I had to face myself. 
coincide lockdown for me and with respects to all the men here you probably have experience of partners going through it but uh I lockdown coincided with the beginning of menopause for me and um holy shit like you know they don't call it the change for nothing you know um it's like my whole personality was turned on its head I was always a really bubbly chatty out there socializing and I realized now that it was like it was all part of this running from myself thing, you know. I had a, a billion friends who I met for coffee and, you know, and just this high energy and menopause wiped it out. No energy left. And um, and then the codependency hit because they call it the codependence crazies, you know. Um, I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do to prop my ego and my self-esteem up. I couldn't meet people for coffee because I was just about able to do my job. I was just able to work 40 hours a week. Um, then I changed my job because I didn't feel able for my job. It was like, you know, but the end of the day, I suppose it simplified my sobriety. You know, um, this is about me being able to live with me today. Um, me being able to get up in the morning and say, you know, that I'm of that I'm whatever about the million different friends I meet for coffee and what they think of me. Um, what does my son think of me? How am I behaving towards my son, who's the only person I live with? What, am, what is my partner? How, how am I treating my partner? You know, um, these are the things that are important to me now. And I have left go of so many fair weather acquaintances, you know, that I realized I was propping up the relationship with my codependency. I was ringing and texting when they really weren't bothered, you know? So I've I've adopted a kind of a cut the bullshit kind of attitude towards my sobriety, you know, and relationships. And it's working for me, you know? Um, in the midst of that, I, I suppose, in the last two years, I felt a real disconnect from the higher power. Um, I felt very lost. Um, and I'm getting that back, you know, I'm getting that back very slowly because I let go of all the practices, you know, I became very lethargic, very unable for life, you know. And um, the beauty is, I suppose, I never stopped going to meetings. I have a, a strong basis in the fellowship, like uh, Mark said there. This opportunity came up to do online service in the lockdown and it sustained me, you know. Um, and no matter how, I, like in terms of codependency and doing things for others, if I get to the point where I'm not being of service, I get very lost, you know, because there's a difference between codependent giving. It's always with a return, whereas being of service is a much more spiritual thing for me. Um, I really have no idea. Like people have walked up to me. Mark has said it and I've kind of poo-pooed his comments at times you know oh you've helped so many people you know um I don't know who I've helped but I know I've helped myself by being available to people by being of service you know um helping people because of how it makes me feel is a different thing you know it, it's kind of maybe hard to I, I I'm figuring it out I suppose for the first time do you know that um I used to help people because it made me feel good, you know. Um, now I help, help where I can, 
when I have the ability to do so, when I have enough fuel in the tank to do so. It's not a case of I run myself into the ground. I My tank is empty and I'm still helping people, you know, because that's that's manic behavior, you know. Um, so at the moment, I suppose for me, it's I'm really, as I said, whether it is menopause or coronavirus or old age or whatever it is, you know, um, there's a, definitely a reevaluation of my sobriety going on. I will never lose the gratitude I have for being away from one drink for one day, because I have no idea where my life would be if I was still drinking. Um, I will never lose my gratitude for AA, for the program of AA, for the members that have been there throughout the whole whole time for me. Um, but I'm now starting to value myself as well. You know, um, my value for myself was so low, you know, um, it was like everybody else's time was more important than mine, you know, and um, and that's a good place to be for me, you know. Um, alcohol isn't any part of my life. I'm still struggling with food addiction. Um, I had been on this really rigid weigh and measure food plan. I was sugar free. I was that free. I was as skinny as a, a rake and I was looking fantastic and I was crippled with anxiety because I was still controlling. and. Um, no, I'm not controlling anymore. And I'm after putting on a lot of weight and but I'm working with it. I'm I'm working with it. I'm working with accepting actually you're not in control for the first time. Like I, I am the quintessential actor controlling the show. I am like probably my favorite bit in the book, in the big book, because uh that's me. I don't know who I am if I'm not trying to control the world, you know, or the people around me. So uh, I have to work on that. I have to work on who, who am I if I'm not thinking I'm in control, you know. And uh, and today I have a good relationship with a higher power of my understanding. I mean, for me, it's largely based in the faith that I grew up with. Um, I think it's vitally important to have faith in recovery. Um, it doesn't really matter what the faith is in. Like, um, we used to have a fellow here in Cork who used to uh, say that his first higher power was like uh, the number eight bus because it could pass all the pubs in Mayfield, you know, and like that's one, you know, it makes, you know, if that if that works for him, that works for him. For me, it had to be a little bit more substantial than that. And um, and then at the same time, I listened to the speaker. He's in the other fellowship and his his higher power is love. He doesn't understand. He said, there's no man with a white beard in the sky, he said, but he knows the energy and the feeling of love. And he said he tries to work with that in his life, you know, and um, so it can be as simple as that, you know. But for me, I suppose I've, I don't think I could ever have a simple higher power. Mine has to be very complex, but he's also got a very sick sense of humor, whatever kind of higher power he is, you know, but uh I believe in the whole coincidence thing, you know, I had a very strange experience yesterday I'm wanting to buy a house out in the countryside. And um, I was disappointed anyway, because I couldn't go to see this house. And this colleague of mine from, from work rang, giving out about work. And I heard her out and I gave her some advice, just a listening ear really, and kind of to mind herself and, you know, and I just said, I might be moving closer to you. She lives about 40 miles away but was where in the area where the house was. And it turns out that she feeds the cats for the old lady who owns the cot cottage that I was going to view, you know? And I just thought that was mad. 
do you know like because um that's God for me. Do you know? It's just like it's like when I, when I was at a craft fair at the weekend, and my dad some suddenly this over the tannoy came. There was music played, and it was my dad's song. It was my dad's party piece song, and it's like that happens. And I I, I like that kind of stuff. That you know, it's probably a bit airy fairy, but for me, my my sponsor that I went through the book with says that whatever higher power you have, he'll prove himself to you every day. Now I use the the prefix he, but that that's what I was brought up with. But um, and I suppose that's it. God proves Himself to me every day if I keep my eyes open, and it doesn't matter. And and I've often wondered about these meetings. Do you know the two snua? Because um, you know, I suppose he can be very religious, almost accidentally at times. Do you know, like. I go to an AA room, physical AA room, and like there's crucifixes on the walls, do you know? And like, it's fine for me, but for people who've had a really negative experience with that institution, I think it must be very difficult, do you know? So it's it's nice that even the intro there by Mark, you know, that you can talk about within reason, you can talk about uh, what you need to talk about. And for me, I suppose my story now includes menopause and it includes food addiction, do you know? Um, so it's not technically, you know, the, the AA way, but like, I suppose we go back to that story. In, in, I think it's in the book or in the 12 and 12, in the 12 and 12, where um, this guy who was cross addicted was coming to meetings and they said, you know, the ultimate question is what would God do? You know, what would a higher power, a benevolent higher power, whatever, do in that situation and there is no exclusion I work in the homeless services as well like and you know you, you just don't exclude people you know it's just not the Christian thing or the you know how do you label it but it's not the right thing the moral thing I don't know um so it's it's lovely to, to come to a meeting that's declares its inclusivity you know right from the start you know um so that's me. Um, I've got on long enough for myself anyway. Um, so I'll shut up at that. And if um, somebody wants to come in or Mark, you're in charge. So I'll hand it over to you.